Good morning, everybody. Y'all excited? Happy Resurrection Sunday. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what it's about today. Won't you join us as we worship today? God so loved. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Come all you sinners, come find his mercy, come to the table he will satisfy. Taste of his goodness, find what you're looking for. For God so loved the world that he gave us, his one and only Son to save us.
tears Bring your addictions Come lay them down at the foot of the cross Jesus is waiting, God So love the world Amen Give God some praise today God so loved the world, amen. Um, happy Resurrection Sunday. Uh, me and Michael were just over there, and uh, we noticed a little one over there dancing during during worship, and uh, that's really good for the heart. Um, if you uh, volunteered to serve the food for afterwards, when right as we're finishing up communion, for those that did volunteer, just make your way inside so we can uh, get the food served. Um, also, Ian will be coming around. With offering plate, if you uh, if for your tithe, we can go to www.bridgenc.com, or just raise your hand. Ian will have the plate, and it'll come around to you, um, so we can get that handled. Prayer and supplication for one another—it's important. Let's keep praying for one another. Um, Gene and Sheila Smith, Carl and Joe Tyner, um, Miss Ella and Kenny Alavera. For uh, our, our servicemen and women abroad, keep them lifted up for uh, all their sacrifices. We're able to be here today, and we're, and we're able to have our freedoms. Um, Pastor, keep Pastor Frank and uh, his family, Joel and his family lifted up. These gentlemen are uh, heeding the call of God to spread the gospel, and uh, they're coming under constant attack, them and their families. So. Uh, it's important that we keep them lifted up in prayer. Um, does anybody have any other prayer requests, praise reports? If you say it out loud, I'll try to duplicate and, and say it. Yeah, let's keep Terry Hewlin lifted up in prayer. Um, anybody else? Anything? Kim Clark. Keep Kim lifted up. He's fighting cancer. Um, Brother Curtis Burton and my other brothers in Christ around here did a lot of work on the outside of the church. So uh, my hat's off to you, gentlemen. I mean, uh, awesome. Being the hands, feet of Jesus and doing the work for Christ. So, Miss Debbie. Uh, Gary Davis. Gary Davis, keep him lifted up. Amen. We'll pray that the Lord has his way in that situation. Anybody? Anybody? Don't want to miss anything. Brother Michael, we'll lead prayer. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for another day, Lord, to come to your house to serve you, Lord. And especially on this day, Lord, the day that you gave us victory, Lord, over sin and Satan, Lord. And we ask now that you, we send up our petitions, Lord, before you, Lord, and prayer requests, Lord, that you answer and comfort those prayer requests that we send up, Lord, before you, and ask that you be with the pastor, Lord, as he comes and bring the word, Lord, and be with the church family, Lord. Just continue to bless it, Lord, and to grow it, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.
Rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But when Jesus rode with all freedom in heaven, that's when death was rested and my life began. That's when death was rested and my life began. Oh, His grace. 
search the world But it couldn't feel me Man's empty praise And treasures that fade Never enough Then you came along Put me back together And every desire Is now satisfied Here in your life Oh, there's nothing Better than you, Lord There's nothing Better than you, Lord There's Nothing that's better than you Well, I'm not afraid To show you my weakness Failures and flaws Lord, you've seen them all And you still call me God of the valley There's not a place Your mercy and grace Will find me again Oh, there's nothing Better than you, Lord There's nothing Better than you Nothing that's better than you. 
He is rich. You didn't know you just come to a strip show at church, did you? If you believe he's alive, why don't you shout real big right quick? If you're sitting in the car, just go ahead and give him a hallelujah honk. How about that? Amen. Amen. I am glad that I know he is alive. That's the very foundation of our faith. The resurrection has been called the hinges on which the door of our salvation hangs. It's the foundation that holds up all of Christianity. If there were no resurrection, there is no salvation. Paul said, if in this life only we have hope, then we're of all men most miserable, most to be pitied.
But then he said, but Christ is risen. Isn't it interesting if the resurrection, and we know it is, is the foundation of our faith. You cannot have Christianity without a resurrected Christ. Isn't it interesting that all four of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record the Passion Week? And the only thing missing in all four accounts is the resurrection. Well, maybe you didn't know that. Go back and study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll not find one occurrence where the resurrection is recorded. It's like creation in the book of Genesis. There were no eyewitnesses. And I've contemplated that and thought, why is it that God did not allow at least one eyewitness to see the resurrection? And maybe it's because if there would have been somebody there, how would they have explained an event like that? There are some things about God and the things of God that the finite mind can just not begin to comprehend. How does God bring death to life. While we don't have an eyewitness account of the resurrection, what we do have is stories and events around the resurrection recorded. We know that Christ was crucified, that he was buried. We know that he was in the grave three days and we know that he rose again because he was seen after the resurrection by more than 500 witnesses. While we don't have an account of the actual resurrection itself, we do have those events recorded surrounding it that teach us valuable and powerful life lessons. We, we see some of those lessons that we can learn in our text in the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 20, chapter number 16, in verse number 1, we'll begin reading. The Bible says, and when the Sabbath, Saturday, one day after crucifixion on Friday, when the Sabbath was passed, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. 
And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a white garment, and they were affrighted or afraid. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man. And here it is again, for they were afraid. Father, we are so grateful to be able to gather here on this Resurrection Sunday as we celebrate the reality that we serve a living Christ. We are so grateful to know that you were willing to send your son into this world and that he willingly gave his life on the cross to pay our sin debt in full. We believe that he was buried. And God, we celebrate the reality that the grave could not hold him down, that he is alive and well. And it's in his name we pray, ask you to open up our hearts and our minds to be receptive, challenged, and changed by the truth we find in this text. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. There are, are several lessons that you and I might glean from the trip these three ladies take to the cemetery on that first Resurrection Sunday. According to the text, they have really one objective one thing on their mind on their way to the tomb and they want to anoint the body of Jesus the Bible says that they took spices in order that they might anoint the Lord's body Jesus was crucified on Friday nearing the end of Friday evening, they took him down from the cross. Joseph of Arimathea anointed his body, wrapped it in fine linen, and hastily and hurriedly laid Jesus in his own personal tomb. Jesus did not have the occasion, the opportunity, they did not have the time to give him a proper funeral. The ladies then spent all day Saturday grieving the loss of their loved one, their Lord, Mary, the loss of her own son. 
And so bright and early Sunday morning, they set out to the temple with one purpose, one objective in mind, and that is they want to anoint the body of the Lord Jesus. They want to bring sweet-smelling spices and sprinkle his body to aid in the decomposition process. Their expectation on that Sunday morning was not a risen Savior. They were expecting to find a corpse. Nevertheless, because of their great love for the Lord Jesus, their one objective, no matter what it looked like and what they'd done, was in essence just wanting to serve Him just wanting to do something for Jesus. Resurrection should be a clarion call to every Christian, every believer, an igniting of a fire in our hearts that we just want to do something for Jesus. That's their objective. That's their motive and their mission is they just want to serve the Lord because... The Lord had already done so much for them. Even if he never got out of the grave, they still wanted to serve the Lord Jesus. Now, that was their objective. But in their conversation on the way to the tomb, we learned that their objective was met with an opposition. A problem, if you will. Because in their conversation, they begin to ask one another, when we get there, who shall roll us away the stone? Now, Bible scholars and history majors would tell us that a gravestone in Jesus' day and time was a round rock that could weigh as much as a ton, literally 2,000 pounds. Now, the way it would have been placed in front of the tomb is several men would have surrounded this stone. It would have been in an upright position with a trench dug downward, so they just rolled it down over the doorway of the tomb. Now, in their minds, on the way to the tomb, they know that that stone has been shut. And their question is, who who shall roll away us the stone? It's a real-life situation for them on that first Resurrection Sunday. It's a picture of a burden that was too big for them to bear, a load that was too heavy for them to move an object, a real-life situation that was more than they could carry. And I wonder who among us sitting here today has not had the objective of wanting to do something great for Jesus. Is there two or three of you out there that would like to do something great for Jesus. 
And as we endeavor, we have to confess and admit that just like these women on their way to a tomb, that when we set our minds to do something for the Lord, it'll always be met with some kind of opposition. There'll always something get in the way. How many of us have had those life experiences where we were not only walking toward a load, but maybe found ourselves under a load that was too heavy for us to carry? Oh, come on, I, I know I'm looking at more than two or three people out there that know what it is to be under a burden that you cannot bear. And maybe question with the ladies on their way to the tomb, who's going to do something about this? Who's going to roll away this stone that I can't handle? And then the Bible says that when they got to the graveyard, when they made their way to the cemetery, they looked and the stone past tense was rolled away. I find that interesting. All of the worrying, the threatening and the wondering that they were doing about this load they were so concerned about, God had already taken care of before they got there. Have you ever thought about the things that you worry about that don't never come to pass? I think Resurrection Sunday should be a reminder to you and to me that we need not worry about things that we can't control in the future because if God has gone ahead of us, they will be handled before we even get there. Now, I can't get a whole lot of you to agree with me. Maybe, maybe, maybe ain't a, many of you been under a burden. But there is a weight that we've all carried. You see, that stone in their minds was an object keeping them out of the presence of the Lord. That was their desire, really. They just wanted to be with Jesus. Jesus, in their mind, is on the inside. They're standing on the outside, and the only thing between them is that 2,000-pound rock standing in front of the door. Did you know that for the believer, for the Christian, for the lost person today that's never been saved, there's really one obstacle and only one obstacle that stands between you and the presence of Jesus. It's not a life situation. It's not a circumstance. It's not the car breaking down because you can't get to church. It's not because you've not found the right church or the right Bible study. There's only one reality in our lives that stands between us and the presence of Jesus. The Bible says it's one that we all share alike. For the wages, the penalty, the burden of sin is death. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It is that one weight that stands between us and the real presence 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder, since nobody out here has ever had many burdens, how many of you know something about the weight of sin? I wonder how many might be here this morning that know what it is to carry a load of guilt and shame, who know what it is to look in the mirror and not be proud of what's looking back at you, to understand that there is something in your life that keeps you separated from God. And then I just wonder if there might be one person here that came to the realization that when you got to Jesus and you looked up, the stone was already gone. It wasn't something you had to throw off, cast off, get rid of. It's God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. That's what the resurrection is all about. The lesson of the rolling away of the stone. I can almost picture these three ladies in their mind on the way to the tomb, contemplating, meditating, thinking about how they're going to leverage this 2,000-pound rock and roll it out of the way. Now, that sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? I mean, there's not three men big as some of y'all are, gathered here this morning that could manage that massive stone. And yet somehow, some way, we conclude that we can handle this load that we carry. And they just looked up, and the stone was rolled away. Aren't you about tired of trying to roll your rock? L- let me tell you something. Here's, here's the resurrection lesson from the stone. When your rock won't roll, Jesus will roll your rock. He'll do for you what you can't do in and of for yourself. But, but, but secondly, there, there's a, another lesson that we cannot hardly derive from Mark's account because the next verse in Mark chapter number 5 says they went into the tomb. But we know according to Matthew that there wasn't another obstacle but there was opposition standing in front of them besides the stone that was there. In Matthew chapter number 27, the Bible says, Now the next day after the preparation, that'd be Saturday or the Sabbath, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate saying, We remember that that deceiver, talking about Jesus, said while he was yet alive, After three days, I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night 
and steal him away. And say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch. Go your way. Make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. So the religious leaders go to the Pharisee, go to Pilate on the Sabbath day. Their concern is, is they heard Jesus prophesy. They heard Jesus predict that he was going to be crucified, buried, and three days later he would rise again. Now, they didn't believe that, Tommy, but what they were concerned about is that the disciples didn't believe it either. And because they didn't believe it, but in order to prove that Christ was who he said he was, they would go and steal the body and fake a resurrection. That was their concern. And so they go to Pilate and ask him, you need to make sure or secure the tomb so they can't pull off this masquerade, this, this fake resurrection. So Pilate tells them, watch this now, Pilate tells them, he says, you have your watch. It's an interesting word. The word is literally guard in the Greek, and it refers to a, a regiment of soldiers. Probably somewhere, I always think about two or three standing out there, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 12. Each one of them responsible for a six-foot perimeter around themselves. They would stand six feet of social distancing at resurrection. They, I just thought about that. They were standing six foot apart, and their responsibility to the Roman government was that nobody get by them and go into that tomb. Now, what's these three ladies going to do in the face of maybe a dozen armed Roman soldiers? Hey, by the way, did you know soldiers don't carry swords for nothing? Literally, on their way to the tomb, they're putting themselves in jeopardy. They're putting themselves in danger. The opposition is real. Listen to me. Not only will you meet obstacles life situations and problems when you decide you want to do something for Jesus. But I want you to know when you put your feet down like these women did, think about this, they know there's a 2,000-pound rock there, and they're going anyway. They would not be deterred. They put their feet down one in front of the other, and they just kept on marching on. And when you decide that you're going to follow Jesus and do something for Jesus, and you plant your foot down to where you will not be moved, hell's going to raise up some adversaries. Hell will put some enemies in front of you. It's not only obstacles then, it's opposition in real time from real people. 
And yet they just kept on marching, Michael. Kept on marching. Kept on marching. Now, I'm interested in how the soldiers were dealt with. The Bible says there was an earthquake and God dispatched an angel from heaven. And when God dispatched an angel from heaven, he rolled the stone out of the way and the keepers, listen to this, the keepers did shake and tremble and more as dead men because of the angel. The keepers saw the angel and they began to tremble and shake. You don't have the women shaking. You got the soldiers shaking. And listen, the enemy, he, he's not changed a whole lot. When you determine that you're going to do something for Jesus, I'll promise you, hell will raise up adversaries against you. But I got some good news for you. When you're under the gun from hell, God's got an angel sitting on go. The Bible says, be not, be, be careful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And boy, y'all acting like I'm getting too spiritual or something now. No, 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 listen to me. Did you know God is still in the business of sending angels. Hey, that's shouting ground right there. That when hell comes against you, it can't stop you because God will dispatch an angel that's got more power than you got. And they trembled and they shook. Now, Miss Joan, here's what I find interesting. In our text, the Bible says when the ladies finally go into the tomb, they saw the angel, but they didn't describe him as an angel. They didn't say anything about a halo hanging over his head. They didn't say anything about angel wings strapped to his back. They didn't say anything about glitter or, or glory. Here's how they described him, a young man clothed in a white garment. Think about that for just a minute. You see, sometimes angels act like men. You can be in the presence of the heavenly host and not recognize that God has already sent your advocate to your side. I, I, I believe all of the Bible. And I just believe that God is still in the business of dispatching angels. And sometimes angels look like men. I wonder, have you ever had an angel encounter? You see, listen, not only do angels sometimes act like men, but sometimes, Tim, sometimes men act like angels. Man. 
Y'all ain't with me this morning. What's wrong with you on this Resurrection Sunday? Sometimes angels look like men. And, and listen, if you're looking for God to send you some help and you're looking for a winged creature with halo hanging over his head, you're probably going to miss him altogether. But, but I'm interested in the idea that sometimes angels act like men and at other times real men, real people act like angels. Did you know that the Bible even refers to men in certain situations by using the word angel, angelos in the Greek? In fact, if you were to read the book of Revelation, you'll find that Jesus wrote seven letters to seven distinct churches in Revelation chapter number 2 and chapter number 3. And in those letters, God told the apostle John, I want you to address them like this, unto the angel of the church at Ephesus. And, and write another one, unto the angel at the church of Philadelphia. Oh, and by the way, write another one unto the angel of the church at Pergamos. Now, now listen, he's not telling John to write a letter to a heavenly holy being in heaven over there somewhere. He's calling the pastors or the ministers of the church at each one of those churches angels. And you see, sometimes... Sometimes when you're facing adversity, when you have real-time, real-people enemies coming against you, it might not be an angel from heaven that God raises up. It might be an angel that God's already placed around you that we call people. Uh, can, can I just testify a little bit and then move on? There was a time, just just not so long ago, that that our church come under attack. But because we we've determined as a church, we want to do something for Jesus. And I told you, if you want to do something for Jesus, you can expect a satanic attack is going to come. Now, we expect that to come from the world because sometimes that's where satanic attacks come from in the church. Governments and, and the world system attacks the church, but sometimes those attacks come from within. And this happened to be one of those instances where the assault wasn't coming from without. It was coming, well, Joe, it was coming from within. Now, we don't like to admit that stuff. We don't like to talk about it. I don't even like being as transparent about it as I am right now. I just soon sweep it under the rug and act like it never happened, but I just got to brag on God a minute. You see, I remember sitting in a room surrounded by adversaries. I remember being insulted and attacked from this side and that side and the front side and the back side. I remember how a, a, a group of people come together and Man, I just knew they was about to get me out of here. 
And here's what I saw in my, my natural state. Hey, I'm as human as what you are. And what I saw was everything that God sent me here to do coming undone. I saw me going back home, dragging my tail. I saw myself defeated. And then all of a sudden, angels started rising up. All, all of a sudden, Joel Johnson stood up and stood by me. All of a sudden, Tommy Sherman come to my side. All of a sudden, big old Billy Bob's run to the issue. Listen to me. I want you to know that whatever you're going through, no matter how bad you think it is, God's got an angel, and he'll dispatch it to you. We need to understand from resurrection that God's still in the angel sending business. Now, I want to ask you a question because it ain't going to do us no good to hear it if we don't take it home. I mean, just to think about it, if it don't challenge us and change us, let me ask you a question. Who's your angel? Who, who's that person that God has brought alongside of you and nurtured up beside of you and you know come hell or high water, it don't matter how bad it gets, how thick it gets, that individual is going to be there because they've got a divine appointment from God. That's the place that that angel is supposed to be. Let me tell you something. You ought to slap that angel a high five and give him a happy hallelujah this morning. Now, now i got another question for you. Whose angel are you? Whose God raised you up to be an angel for? When hell's adversaries raise up against you, resurrection is a reminder that God's got angels to come along beside of you. Amen. Thirdly and finally, this story's not about us, Joe. It's not about angels. It's not literally even about these three women on their way to the tomb. You see, this story is about Jesus. And there's some lessons that we can learn in this resurrection encounter about us and our relationship with the Lord Jesus. The angel says to the women four times, rather, in five verses of Scripture, the Bible says these women were affrighted. I like that word affrighted, don't you? I ain't sure how you spell it, but I like it. It literally just means they were afraid. Four times it said they were afraid. One time the angel told them, don't be affrighted. Don't be afraid and yet we read at the end of the narrative verse number eight that's the end of their story in this text when they left they left afraid the angel had done told them don't 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 be afraid but he had made them this promise he says, I want you to go tell the disciples and Peter too. 
to go into Galilee, and there you will see Jesus. Just like he said unto you. I want to point out two things right here, and we're going to be done. Number one, it's interesting to me that he singled Peter out out of all the disciples. Go tell the disciples to go to Galilee and they'll see Jesus and, and oh yeah, tell Peter too. You see, Peter had blown it worse than anybody in the whole crowd. If there was somebody who did not deserve to see Jesus in Galilee, it was Peter too. There could have been no greater sin than not only denying the Lord once, not twice, but three times, Joe. I don't even know the man, Peter said. But go tell Peter too. Now, some of y'all will remember that we just looked at Peter in his denial this past week and that Peter, when he had denied the Lord that third final time the Lord looked at him and the Bible says Peter was weeping. And, and I just have to wonder if maybe somewhere deep down inside, maybe Peter thought to himself, man, I've just gone too far. I mean, out of all of Jesus' followers, nobody has blown it like I've blown it. If there's anybody that's not worthy to come to Jesus, then it's me. But Jesus said, tell Peter too. Boy, ain't that some grace. A ain't that good news? That Peter, no matter how bad you've blown it, bring your failure to me. I'll meet you in Galilee. Peter, you're going to see me just like the rest of them. You ever needed any Peter too kind of grace? Now, I mean, maybe maybe Peter's not by himself. Maybe he's not the only one that's ever felt like, man, I can't believe that I've done this, and I don't even know if God would even consider forgiving this. And maybe there's a looming question mark in the back of your mind. Have I gone too far? Have I pushed the limit beyond restoration and reconciliation? I got some good news for you. God's got Peter too, Grace. God's great, got grace to cover no matter how far you've gone, no matter how far, how bad you think that you've blown it, God's grace is sufficient even for Peter 2 kind of messes. You can bring all of your failures and according to the text, all of your fears. Now, boy... I done jumped off into deep water anyway. I might as well just go ahead and confess. 
if you testify, you might as well confess too, huh? You know, it's in those times of uncertainty, in the unknown, that if we're not careful, our faith will begin to falter. And when your faith begins to crumble, the only thing left is fear. Now, don't look at me like I got three heads and like you ain't never been scared. Some of you scared to take a deep breath right now. Listen, listen. It says in the text four times in five verses that they were afraid. You see... The worst thing than being afraid is being afraid and pretending that you're not. Those men began standing up beside of me. God dispatched angels. And I'm feeling pretty confident, feeling pretty good. Until the adversaries, how many of you know that the enemy never goes down quietly. He makes a lot of noise on his way out. And those people that came against the church and came against me, they begin calling other people, making nasty comments, trying to get a following to go with them. And I'll never forget this one statement that was made because it impacted me more than any other statement that was made through the whole ordeal. And this one man was telling people, we're leaving, talking about his little group, and we're taking the money with us. And I thought to myself when I heard that the first time, I didn't just hear it one time, I heard it several times. But I thought to myself when I heard that, Adam, how arrogant is that? How, how, how brash and how bold. And, and because literally what you're saying is, is you're fixing to shut down what God's doing. Now, I told you this is a confession. I ain't beating up on somebody. This is a confession. Because I heard that. And that's exactly what they've done. $60,000 left out of our annual budget in less than an hour. And I begin to think. I begin to contemplate. I begin to scheme. Because I'm wondering how in the world are we going to continue what I know God has put us here to do on such a limited budget. And and so so now I'm I'm trying to figure out how we're going to make it happen. You know why? Because I'm walking in fear and not by faith. I'm walking by what I see, not according to what God said. And, and, and Adam, I went so far as to 
going to our church council and discussing with them how we're going to restructure our budget and how we're going to get things under control and how, how, how can we cut our salaries? And, and then finally, it even got to the point that I said this, we're going to have to go to a one-person staff. And Adam, I made that statement. And I walked out of that room. And I don't know that since I've been saved that I felt the Holy Spirit conviction like I felt it in that moment. I knew, Joe, I knew I had messed up. And, and had to make a conscious decision. We're just going to believe what God said. God saw where we were, and Joey raised up angels. This time, it wasn't somebody in our church. God reached all the way across the country and raised up an angel in California, and that angel sent several thousand dollars and has committed to supporting the church financially. And, and I share all of that with you, not because I'm proud of any of it or the things, even the way I acted or reacted to it, but just to help you understand that I know what it is to live in that fear of those five verses. But, but I want to encourage you. Don't make the mistake that I made because I promise you, God's got an angel sitting on go. God will make a way when you think that there's no way. When you can't see a way around, God will send somebody. He'll raise up people alongside of you so what 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 do we take away what do we take away from resurrection sunday well here here's 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 where i'm at there's there's two truths that i really want us each of us to own here today truth number one Jesus is a good place to bring your failures. He's got Peter too kind of grace. And, and secondly, Jesus is the best place to bring your fears. He'll see you through when you can't see your own way through. We're, we're living in a time probably like no other since I've been alive that more Christians are, I can't do it with a microphone in my hand, living their lives like this. Y'all see what I'm doing? I'm wringing my hands, Tommy, in case you can't see. S sit, sitting around. all hunkered over like this. 
if we could use one word to characterize probably 90% of Americans today out of this text, it might be the word that's found four times in five verses describing three women. Father, we come to you this afternoon believing that you are omnipotent, all-powerful. You're omniscient, all-knowing. You're omnipresent everywhere all the time. And God, we believe that through the life, the atoning death, the burial, and the resurrection of your Son, we have the gift of eternal life. God, that we don't have to live in fear, but we can walk by faith. And Lord, we're just so impressed by these three ladies in our text that when they left, they left, and according to your word, they were still afraid. But Lord, they walked believing because they went to where you told them to go, and there they met your son. Father, open our eyes. that even today we might see Jesus. Lord, that we might see him in one another, that we might see him living in and through each and every one of us. Father, we pray especially this morning for, for that individual that, Lord, that's never been saved. It's never been born again. And, Father, I ask you that today, that today would be the day of salvation, that now might be the acceptable time. Lord, as we go into share communion in remembrance and, and celebration, all that Christ has given and done for us. We pray that our lives would be living witnesses of Him living in us and through us. Have your will and your way, and we'll be careful to give you the glory and the praise for all that you do. In Jesus' name. Tommy, is there communion cups up here if anybody does not have the elements of communion if you just raise your hand we will uh, get those to you um, blow your horn if you need to that'll be okay rarely do we ever partake of communion without
looking at Paul's instructions to the church at Corinth in lieu of their partaking of the Lord's Supper. And the instructions there are connected and, and coupled uh, to a warning even. And Paul teaches us that when you come to the Lord's table, it's a time of examination and inspection. He warns us that there are many within the church who are sick and, and afflicted, and even those that had died because they took or partook of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Now, as you study that text, certainly we all want to partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner because He's worthy of it. Amen? And, and so I, I think the text challenges us to do a couple of things. N number one, to partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner is to partake of it with unconfessed, unrepented of known sin in our lives. And so I would encourage you this morning in preparation uh, for this celebration, that you examine yourself. And we could preach a whole lot more sermons today and all of the stuff that you should be doing or shouldn't be doing, but the Holy Spirit is pretty good at His job, isn't He? And I've learned that when there's sin in my life, I don't have to have somebody else to tell me He's pretty good at pointing it out. And so I would encourage you this morning that if there's sin in your life that God's laid his finger on and said, hey, it's time to stop doing that or to start doing this, right now would be a good opportunity to make a commitment to God. God, I'm sorry that I've sinned. And by your grace, I'm going to turn from it. But I need your help. Secondly, and it's really dealing with the same issue, but the problem with the church at Corinth was, well, it was an internal problem. I hope you, that you're aware there are no perfect churches on this planet. Because churches, Miss Margie, they're made up of people. And no matter how saved we are, we're still imperfect people which means sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we fall short. And sometimes because we get it wrong and we fall short, our relationships are strained. And that's really what was taking place here at the church at Corinth. There was division amongst the body. And, and so I would encourage you this morning that if, if there's separation between you and a, a brother and sister in Christ, maybe one of your own family members, 
broken and strained relationships, I would right now, I wouldn't wait until after church. I would right now make that relationship right. I'm sorry is a pretty short phrase, but boy, it can be difficult sometimes, can it? Maybe you need to go to somebody and just say, I forgive you. That's part of partaking the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. So I want us to bow our head and close our eyes for just a few moments. And I'm going to ask Brother Joe Erebus, if he will, to come up. Tommy, if you'd come up and join us with If you want to go ahead and open up your 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 communion. Bible says that the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. Now, after the communion meal, he said to his disciples and to you and to me that as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And I want you just to reflect for a moment on when Jesus gave thanks, what he was giving thanks to the Father for. That piece of bread is representative of his going to the cross. And he loves you and he loves me so much that he thanked God for, wow, the privilege of going to the cross in our place. That's unfathomable. So, Joe, would you give thanks for the body that Christ gave? Father, turn our hearts to you. Let us remember that Jesus' body was broken at your command, Father, for us. Help us to realize, Lord, that nothing touches our life unless you allow it, Lord. No matter what you call on us to do, Father, the Holy Spirit is with us, empowering us. Teach us to walk in your spirit. And Lord Jesus, we now honor you for the sacrifice that you made not only for us, Lord, but, but for the Father and at the Father's command. Turn our hearts to you. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat of it in remembrance of me.
And then the Bible says that he took the cup. And in like manner, meaning that just as he had given thanks to God for the body that he was about to give, so for the blood that he was about to shed. Tommy, would you give thanks for the blood that Christ shed on the cross on our behalf? Lord, we just thank you for for sending your son to die for us, to bleed for us. And we drink this in remembrance of you. In your name we pray. Amen. Father, we know that in of ourselves, that is in our flesh, we are unworthy. But we are also grateful to know that you have declared us to be worthy in your Son. That you're able to love us as you love him. That you're able to look at us as you look at him. That you're able to say of us that which you say of him. This is my beloved son. My beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. And Father, we know that's only possible through the atoning sacrifice of your glorious son and by your amazing grace wherein we stand. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, may you bless this food that we're about to partake of. Bless the hands that have prepared it, our time of fellowship together. Help us to honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We will be having a meal. Um, if you want to make your way around at this door, they will be serving uh, the plates there. Uh, there's hand sanitizer as you go in the door. If you would, please use that. There's also a uh, mask available there as well. Um, listen, we, we have some folks with us today that have not been with us in a while because of compromised immune disorders. Um, so we want to encourage you to uh, remember to respect their place because they are still particularly vulnerable uh, to COVID. God bless you. Thank you for being with us today.